One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. and turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, we'll start at the beginning, cover the whole thing today. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, and uh, if you're new here with us, uh, first of all, welcome, we're so glad that you're here, and, uh, but if you're new, we are picking up on a series that we have been in uh, for several weeks now that, that is kind of our vision series for 2020 kind of setting the vision focus for this year as it unfolds. And we are doing that under the theme, as Steph already mentioned, of here as it is in heaven. And so this is really our vision and our heart for 2020, that as we follow Jesus, we would manifest what Jesus called the kingdom of God. And Jesus, to, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here as in heaven. And uh, that's really what we should be as a church. And uh, speaking of heavenly, wasn't that an awesome time of worship this morning? That was such a, a great, great time of worship. And so we have been exploring what does it look like to live here as it is in heaven? What does it look like to be that, that kingdom community? And so we talked about kingdom vision and living with vision the second thing we talked about was kingdom strategy, which is really about a blessing strategy, that God's plan and purpose is that through us, he would bless the world. That's his plan, to change the world through blessing a group of people that would be a blessing to the world. So we talked about kingdom vision, kingdom strategy. Last week, my dad talked about kingdom authority, that we are called to be ambassadors, and today I want to pick up on that theme, and I want to speak to you today on kingdom culture, kingdom culture. And so I want to read these couple of verses that have been kind of our uh, launching pad into this series out of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, Genesis 1, 28 and 29. Take a little water before I read. Genesis 1, 28, it says this, this is the original commission to mankind, the original commission to bring or to extend heaven to earth through Adam and Eve. And verse 27, it says that God made man in his image. He made them male and female. He created them. Then verse 28 says this, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful or increase, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion, he says. Have dominion. In other words, don't just live on the earth. I want you to, to rule over the earth. I don't want you to just make it through life. I want you to, uh, Paul says in the New Testament, I want you to reign in life. In other words, I want you to be the head and not the tail. I want you to be above and not beneath. I want you to be an influencer, not the influenced. He says you are to take dominion. That is a kingdom word. Kingdom word. I know for some of us, the only context we may have for dominion is king's dominion. Who's ever been to king's dominion? Some of you have been to king's dominion. And uh, uh, in Virginia, I think there's some others too. But uh, 
for us as Americans, that word dominion oftentimes doesn't really resonate. But what God is telling mankind is that we are to carry his authority, and not only are we to carry his authority, but we are to, as as we extend his kingdom, we are to bring the culture of heaven to earth. I, I don't know if you realize that, but heaven is not just a place, heaven is a culture. And theologians call these verses that we just read, they call it the cultural mandate, that God commanded mankind as he made them to then go cultivate the garden, cultivate the earth, take the raw materials of the world, reproduce people, and to populate the earth. That's what we call culture, to fill the earth as, as delegated authority ambassadors, to fill earth with the culture of heaven. And the fact is that oftentimes today, uh, culture is kind of a buzzword, right? It's a word that people talk a lot about. It's a word that often we discuss, but it is rarely defined, especially in the church. And so I want to give you a little definition of culture, and this is not my definition. It's actually Webster's definition, and it is this, that culture is the, the set of shared attitudes, so it's the way we think, the way we see the world, values what is important to us, goals or where we're going, the practice, uh, practices that characterize a group. It's the shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize a group. Now, here's the challenge about culture is that oftentimes culture is, is not easily recognized Because we are consumed by it. We are surrounded by culture in one form or another, whether it's good culture or bad culture. Uh, Culture is to us uh, oftentimes what water is to a fish, right? It's just the world they live in. And that is true for us. We are all born into culture. We are surrounded by culture. We are shaped by culture. A simple definition of culture is this, is culture is what makes us, us, right? It's what makes us, as a group of people, us. And oftentimes, the only way that we really discern culture is through cultural contrast. When we, when we see our culture, we begin to see our culture when we're exposed to another culture. Anybody been out of the United States of America? So most of you have, then you have experienced a change of culture, and, uh, and you begin to see your own culture differently. I'll never forget when I moved to England as a kid, and uh, we moved to a different location, but it wasn't just a different location, it was a different culture. Who's been to England? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, you show up, you're like, they speak English, uh, it's probably kind of the same thing. And then you show up, that was a little bit of like a southern twang when I said thing, because that's what happens when you go to England, you realize you're like American. So you show up, and and you think, well, they speak English, and so, you know, it's probably kind of the same, and you show up, and everything is different. I mean, everything, or, or almost everything. I remember as a kid, the first thing that struck me was just the smallness of, like, everything. The houses were so small. Who knows what I'm talking about? 
I, I felt like I had gone into like Hobbit world there because everything was so small. Their houses were small. Their refrigerators were small. Their clothes washers were small. Uh, it, their, their cars were small. Their roads were small. Everywhere I went, I was just reminded that this is a, a different place. Not only was, was that a difference, that things were much smaller, but also uh, the food was different. The food was different. I thought, well, it can't be that different, you know, but the food was different. I remember they ate something there. I remember I was served it in school that was called steak and kidney pie. I like pie. I like steak. You put the kidney in the mix, that's a whole nother dish, right? They would eat steak and kidney pie, and they had this bizarre substance that was kind of dark brown colored that was called Marmite. And, and somehow they have like brainwashed the whole group of people there. Everybody pretends like Marmite is good. Who's ever had some Marmite? You know what I'm talking about. This is terrible stuff. It's terrible stuff, but they, somehow they eat it. They love it. They put baked beans on everything. I mean, baked beans to me is something you have like on the side with barbecue, but over there it's like a breakfast food. You put it on toast. You have it in at any time of day. You can have baked beans. Not only that, but the things that were normal to me were, was not normal there. I mean, one of the most normal things for a school-aged kid, at least at that time in the U.S., was to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I know that's like a terrorist word today, peanut butter, but who grew up eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Most of us grew up, if you grew up in America, that was like, that's what you ate, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But in England, peanut butter and jelly is, is they wouldn't even think of it, first of all, because jelly is jello there, but secondly, they just don't do those two together. And so I remembered I was an American kid. I showed up at British school, and I had my little sandwich bag with my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and, and they thought it was the weirdest thing. I remember one of, the, one of the few times I remember just like an outright total lie, tell, telling a total lie, was in the lunch period in England, a girl that I had a little crush on came up to me and said, Justin, did you have peanut butter and jelly sandwich? <laughs> disgusting. Why would I ever have that? That was a Marmite sandwich. And, uh, but everything was different. They say different words. Here we say hello. They say, you're right. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. You're right. Who, who's heard that before? You're right. You're right. Um, they, when they need to use the bathroom, they look for a, a place called the loo. The, the loo. Who's, who's heard that before? I need to go to the loo. And here's all of these things that although it's familiar in some ways, uh, I was perpetually bombarded by these cultural distinctions that reminded me, you're no longer in America. I also experienced a, a culture change or a culture shift when I got married. Who knows what I'm talking about with that? You know, uh, Jennifer and I, I had my culture and, and she had her culture and my parents, when I was growing up, always told me, this is how we do it in our house. And when you have your own house, then you can do it the way you want to do it. I've realized that is also a, a, 
a total lie. That is a lie, okay? If you want to have it your way, uh, you cannot be with anybody else, okay? And so I realized very quickly that there was, it wasn't just two people living under the same roof. There was some, there, it was like a clash of cultures in our house. I've told you before, uh, I love air conditioning. Yes. Jennifer grew up in Minnesota. They didn't have air conditioning. And some people say it's because it doesn't get cold there. That is also a lie. Or it doesn't get hot there. It's, that is also a lie. It gets like up into the 80s and 90s, but they just like sweat it out. That's what they do. And not in my house. Not in my house. I grew up in Florida, not in the 50s, in the 80s, post-air conditioning culture, okay? And so I, I love the air conditioning. And so we had some cultural conversations around the air conditioner. Other things like the food we ate. She, Like I said, she grew up in Minnesota, and, and they do this bizarre thing. They drink milk with everything. Some of you know what I'm talking about, Lori. Is that true? Or have you seen that before? Yeah. Some Minnesotans, and I'll tread lightly because there's some in the room, and my in-laws may hear this message, but uh, Jennifer, when we got married, she would drink a glass of milk with everything because nothing goes better with, with pizza than ice-cold milk. In my house growing up, Milk was to put on cereal and to dunk cookies in. That was the extent of it. I mean, we even used different words. I remember, I remember the first time we went to the store, and I, I told her I needed to get a buggy. Who knows what a buggy is? Uh, you know, it's a buggy. It's a thing that you put your, you put your shopping in your buggy, and uh, who calls it a buggy? Some of, some of us call it buggies. I actually saw an infographic map of the portions of the United States that they call it buggy in. And so I'm not alone in that, okay? But she was like, what in the world is a buggy? And so I just realized there was all these little things that helped me to see that marriage was not just a change of relationship status. It was a change of culture. We had to form a new culture together. And the same is true when you come to Jesus. Or, or maybe I should say it this way, when Jesus comes to you. When Jesus comes into your life, you don't just have a change of beliefs, you have a change of culture. When Jesus comes into your life, he brings the culture of heaven into your heart. He comes in, and it's not just a change of belief, and it's not just a change of eternal destination. It's a change of culture. Some of you can relate to that. You know there was a moment in time that something happened in your heart. It's kind of like in Lion King when Mufasa says, everything the light touches is ours. And the Bible says this, that, that when you come to Jesus, that you have come from a kingdom of darkness. You have been transferred into the kingdom of light. You see, coming to Jesus or Jesus coming into your life, it's not just that change of belief. It's a whole change of culture. When Jesus comes into your life, you're going to begin to see some of the things that you used to love. Maybe you don't love anymore. 
like an American that moves to England and begins to pick up on some of the cultural identity. There's a new identity that comes into your heart. There's a, a new identity that comes into you. That's the kingdom of God. The Bible says this, don't look here or there, saying the kingdom is there or there. The kingdom of God is within you. In other words, when God comes into your heart, it's the life of God, the rule of God, the reign of God. It changes everything about you. Following Jesus is not just about coming once a week and checking a box. It's not just about, you know, a small change in your life. It's about imbibing a whole new culture. And that's the culture of the kingdom. That's what we're singing about earlier when we were singing that song, Better Word. Better word. Your, your blood is speaking a better word. It's rewriting my history. It's covering me with destiny. That's what the kingdom of God does when he comes into our life. That's what the work of God does through the blood of Jesus. He gives us a new identity. A number of years ago, my brother and I decided that we were going to look into what it would take to be recognized as members of the Muscogee Creek Nation. I know that probably doesn't come as a surprise to any of you guys that I would have Native American history, heritage. I know most of you are probably looking at me going, he's ethnic of some sort. I just can't put my finger on it. <laughs> I know, it's Muscogee Creek Nation. And so we decided, which I'm like 116th, okay? So we thought we would look into what does it take to officially become a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation? And here's the rule they followed. They, they followed a rule that they called the one-drop rule. Now, that rule historically was used to oppress people. It was used by a racist agenda to oppress people that were not what they deemed of the right culture. But now that, that rule has been redeemed, and now it was, if you, how did you come into the nation, the Muscogee Creek Nation? How, how could you be welcomed into that kingdom, so to speak? All you had to do is have one drop of blood. In other words, you just had to have a provable bloodline that you belong to the nation. And what are we singing about? Better word. Your blood speaks a better word. We're saying this, that regardless of what your family background has been, regardless of what your identity, national identity or heritage has been in the past, that when you put your faith in Jesus, there's a new heart that comes into you. There's a new kingdom. You've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and you've been brought into the light. You've been brought out of death and you've been brought into life. You've been brought out of bondage and you've been brought into freedom. That's why the apostle Paul says this in in. Uh, Romans 5, 17, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Listen to this. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. What is a priest? Another word for that is a minister. That's what they call a representative of another government to another government. They are a minister or someone that carries authority. You're a royal 
priest, you're a minister, you're a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who, uh, who once were not a people, but now you are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. What's he saying? He's saying that when Jesus breaks into your heart, it changes everything. There's a new identity. There's a new authority, and out of that flows a new culture. Maybe you grew up in a family that did it a certain way, that said certain things, that didn't do certain things, whether those things were good or bad, I'm glad to tell you that when you come to Jesus and when he enters into your life, you have a new identity. You're brought into the family. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so all of these things, just like there's little things that reminded me I was no longer in America, I was now in England. Just like there was little cultural things that reminded me I'm no longer single, I'm now married. The same is true for us that there are things that we, God wants to bring into our lives, the culture of the kingdom of God that will continually remind us you are no longer in darkness. You've been brought into the light. That's the culture of the kingdom of God. That's what God wants us to be, carriers of the culture of heaven. And that means this, that the church is not just a nice little gathering that we come to on occasion. But the church is intended to be an outpost or an embassy of the kingdom of God on earth. That's what the church is meant to be. It's not something that we just come to to try to keep our faith intact. It's something that God has divinely appointed to extend heaven into earth. That we would be a, a little outpost, a little embassy of the kingdom of God. I was recently reading about the Danish embassy in London. And when Denmark was building an embassy in London, they didn't want to just build a British building that would, that would house the Danish embassy. They wanted to build a Danish building in London. So they hired Arne Jacobsen, a famous Danish architect. And they built it not just to British building codes, but they built it to Danish, British, uh, Danish building codes, which at the time were much higher and they decorated it not just with British furniture, they decorated it with Danish furniture. Why? Why did they do that? Because they wanted every person that walked in to experience Denmark in London. That although they were in London, when they walk into that place, they're no longer just in London, they're now in Denmark. It, although it's in England, it's Danish. And the same is true for every single one of us. We see that in a lot of places throughout our culture. Uh, embassies of culture, outposts of culture. Anybody been to Ikea before? How, how many of you know Ikea is a world unto itself, right? What is Ikea? Well, Ikea is a little bit of Swedish culture, globalized and sent out around the world. That's why uh, at Swedish and, and Scandinavian holidays, Scandinavian people often gather, if you, if you go into Ikea, they gather there to have their dinners and do, the, do those sorts of things uh, because it's really cheap for the meatballs <laughs> and it just feels a little bit like home. Anybody ever been into an Apple store before? Uh, some of you, 
Yeah, most of you have. Um, what is an Apple store? There's, there's a feeling, there's a culture, there's a vibe, isn't there? I mean, you walk by the Apple store and you don't think that's, you know, something else. You know that's an Apple store. That, that is a reflection of the, the creative genius of Steve Jobs, right? And, and that is a, a little piece of Cupertino, California that has been extended all the way to Altamont, right? It's a little embassy of the culture, right? It carries the values and it extends that so that every person that walks in, they're, not, they're no longer just in the Altamont Mall or the Florida Mall, they're now in Apple, right? We see that in so many ways around our culture. Anybody ever been down to the Mills 50 area? Some of you know the Mills 50 area is a little Vietnamese town, a really cool place with great restaurants and great culture. How did that happen? Well, it happened in the 70s when, after the Vietnam War, when many Vietnamese uh, citizens moved here to the States and settled in that place, and they found that little place, and they said, you know what? Now, we're not just going to move in. We're going to bring the culture here. We're going to open some restaurants. We're going to start some businesses. We're going to build relationships in this place. And now you can go into that place. And I know it's a limited example, but you can go into that place. And it's a little bit of Vietnam here in Orlando. Why? Because although they had come out of Vietnam, Vietnam had not come out of them. They were carrying the culture, right? So that now it's here as it is in Hanoi. Right? They're carrying the culture into that place, and we're all the better for it, right? And so that's what God wants all of us to do. When Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't just change your eternal destination. You become a carrier of the kingdom of God everywhere you go. The church is not just a nice little holy huddle to keep us intact. We are an embassy to extend the kingdom of God into the world. It's the kingdom culture. That's what every local church is intended to be. Now, you may hear that and you think, well, why is there then so many different local churches? If it's the, the culture of the kingdom, well, which culture is it? Is it First Presbyterian? Is it First Baptist? Is it First Methodist? Is it Our Lady of Peace? Is it uh, who, who has the culture of the kingdom? And here's what I want you to see. We can go to the next slide. Here's what I want you to see is that there is one kingdom, but there is multiple tribes, and there are many families in God's kingdom. There's one kingdom. We're all under one king. His name is Jesus. But then within that, there's multiple tribes and many families. And that's always been the way the kingdom of God has advanced. If you think about it with me, Israel in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, was under the rule and the reign of God. But then as a part of Israel, there was 12 tribes, right? And then under those tribes, there was many families. And the way that God extended his work was through all of those families as a part of those tribes working together in unity, but also being faithful in their family. They worked in unity, but they were faithful in their family, if you've ever read the story of Nehemiah, you remember they had this one mission to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, but every family had their part and their part and their part. 
And I want you to understand today that there is only one king and his name is Jesus. And any person that's put their faith in Jesus, any church that names the name of Jesus, any person that's been marked by the Holy Spirit, regardless of the name over their door, it's all in the same kingdom. That's why we love other churches. That's why we don't have a competitive spirit with other churches. Why? Because we're all on the same mission. We're serving the same king. As Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. This week, we had a great opportunity to host about 30 pastors and leaders from this city for what we called Explore Alpha. And uh, it was just an opportunity for us to share what God has been doing in our church through Alpha with those pastors. And there was people from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different denominations, a lot of different styles. But what brought us together is that we were all committed to advancing the kingdom of God. And so as a church, we should always love other churches I bless other churches. Sometimes I drive by a church and maybe it's not, it's not my flavor. Maybe it's not my style. Maybe they have a little distinctive that, that maybe is not, you know, my cup of tea. But if they love Jesus, I bless them. And so we need to bless every church, every community, every family that's a part of the kingdom of God. But we also need to be faithful in our family. The kingdom advances not by people running you know, it's like building that wall. They didn't build the wall by one person building a little bit over here and then running over here and then running over there. They built with their family. And the same is true in the kingdom of God today, that God plugs every single one of us into a family. That's what we call a local church, a local church. And so although we're all part of one broader kingdom, God calls us to be faithful in our family. What makes family, family? There's a lot of things, but pretty simply put, and I know this is an oversimplification, it's that there is a shared DNA. There's a, there's a shared DNA. And that's not a physical DNA, but that's really a spiritual DNA. That although we love every church, we recognize God's called us to a family and so we want to be faithful to that family. We want to sow into that family. We want to love that family. And so I want to show you in the next few minutes, I just want to shift a little bit as we're talking about kingdom culture, and I want to talk about our culture as a church family, what makes us, us. In the words of Montel Jordan, this is how we do it, okay? This is how we do it. And so I want to put up this DNA on the screen, and I know some of you have seen this before, and some of you may feel like, you know, this is not very inspiring, Justin. But I do believe it's important for all of us to know if we're going to fulfill God's mission and purpose, we need to know why we do what we do, why what we do matters. I heard a story one time of a, a little girl who was watching her mom bake a roast, and she saw that her mom cut the ends off the roast and put the ends of the roast on top of the roast. And she asked her mom one day, Mom, why do you cook the roast like that? Why do you cut the ends off? And she said, I don't know why I do that. That's just the way Grandma did it. And she said, well, Grandma will be here this weekend. Why don't you ask Grandma why she cut the ends off the roast? And so Grandma was there, and she said, Grandma, my mom, every time she makes a roast, she cuts the ends off the roast. She said, you cut the ends off the roast. Why do you cut the ends off the roast? And she said, sweetheart, your mom still cuts the ends off the roast? She said, I cut the ends off the roast because I, I didn't have a pan big enough to fit the whole roast in. So I had to cut the ends off and put it on top. And sometimes 
the, the, that really illustrates that for all of us, even in culture, sometimes we can do things without ever thinking about the why behind the what. What's the rationale? Why do we do what we do? And so this is really our DNA as a church. This is who God has called us to be as a church. This is, does not make us better than anybody else, but it does define who we are. And, and don't worry, there won't be a test on this, but really it comes down to four core values, four core values that, if I could say it this way, they're kind of like four legs of a stool. Can you envision that kind of four legs on a stool, those colored blocks like legs on a stool? And all of those things are important. All of those things keep us in balance. And those four things are, number one, a God encounter. Number two, a relational focus. Number three, a biblical foundation. And number four, an apostolic mission. Now, I know some of you hear that and you're like, that sounds like Bible talk to me. I'm not really sure what that is. Let me explain what each one of those are a little bit. Number one, I want to talk about God encounter. God encounter. What is it that makes church, church? What's the difference between church as a gathering of people on a Sunday versus a movie or a, a restaurant that people go to and just have good food or just enjoy a show? What makes a gathering of people a church? And here's what I want you to see is that it's the presence of God that makes a church a church. We could come together and we could sing songs and we could give a talk, but if God's not here, it's not church. It may be Christian karaoke. It may be a nice speech. It may be an inspirational talk, but it's not church because what makes church church is that God is with us. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name. I am there in the midst. That should create a holy expectation in our hearts. That should create a holy excitement in our hearts that when we're coming to church, we're not coming to just sit in the SunTrust Auditorium of the Orlando Museum of Art. We're coming to meet with God. We're coming into the presence of God. That's why we value praise and worship. That's why we want to encourage people to enter in and praise and worship. Why? Because the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. So when we praise, when we worship, when we lift up our hands, when we clap our hands, when we sing out, God comes into the room. And let me tell you this, you don't need a nice church, you need an encounter with God. You don't need just nice community, that's a byproduct, but you and I need an encounter with God. And so every time we come together, here's our prayer, God, would you show up? God, would you show up? God, if you don't show up in the worship, God, it's dead, it's flat, it's lifeless. God, if you don't show up in the word, Lord, I've got nothing. I can't do anything. Even if I could come up with some sort of smart little talk, it's powerless to change people's lives. And so first of all, we value a God encounter. That's why we gather weekly. We don't gather because we're just looking for a nice little thing to do or because we're not really into the brunch scene, so we'll do the church thing. That's not why we gather. We gather because we love the presence of God. What makes heaven heaven? First of all, it's where God is. Heaven is heaven because it's where God is. And so we worship with passion. We sing. Some of you maybe walk in and go like, this is one of those happy clappy churches. Why do they do that? It's too early for that. 
Well, I understand that. I can feel that way too. But we do that because we're engaging with the presence of God. The Bible says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. You see, worship always involves a sacrifice. Where there is no sacrifice, there is no worship. And so if it's just doing what I feel like doing, it may be a nice little moment, but it's not worship. And worship is what God is looking for. He's looking for worshipers. So we want to engage in worship. We also want to come expecting the Holy Spirit to move among us. We want to expect that God could do anything, that anything could happen. We've seen that happen numerous of times where God has spoken through the gift of prophecy in our Sunday gatherings, and it's changed the whole directional course of a person's life. Why is that? It's not because we plan for like a cool little moment when the band does this, then we're going to do that. No, God showed up. God showed up. God moves. Why? Because he loves to inhabit the praises of his people. And so this is not just a a one-church value. This is the kingdom of God. What makes the kingdom the kingdom? What makes heaven heaven? It's where God lives. And so we value a God encounter. Number two, we value relational focus. We value relationships. Or, Or we could say it this way, that church is not just a place to attend, but a place to belong. There's so much in the word of God that that cannot be experienced outside of relationship, outside of community. Some people say, Jesus is all I need. That's not true. Actually, we need each other. You can't fulfill God's purpose on your own. It has to unfold in the context of relationships within a church. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, be kindly affectionate to one another. With brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Be kindly affectionate. I don't know what your family was like growing up. Maybe you weren't very affectionate. But when you come into the family of God, now you don't have to be weird about it, okay? Don't be weird, but you can be affectionate, right? A side hug is appropriate, right? Guys and girls, side hug is always good. Some love. Show some love, okay? If you need instructions on how to hug, we'll do a class, okay? But what I want you to see is the church isn't just about me and Jesus. That's why we, that's why we love connect groups. That's why we always say, have you joined a connect group? Do you have a connect group? Who's your connect group? Why? Not because you just need another thing to fill a weeknight, but because the more you love God, the more you're going to love other people. The more God fills you, the more you're going to want to be with other people. That's why this Friday we're going camping. I don't know if you realize that. Thank you. I appreciate that support for camping. But do you know why we're going camping? We're not going camping because we love camping. Some of us do. Some of us don't. But we're not going camping because we love camping. We're going camping because we love each other. And do you know who's going to be at camping? Us. Each other. Okay? We're going to be there together. So if you've not signed up for camping yet, sign up. You can go to onechurch.net slash this week and sign up. That's this Friday night. That's also why we encourage people to serve each other. The Bible says this, that as often as we have the opportunity, we are to do good to others, especially the household of faith. Why do we serve on teams? Why do we serve as greeters, as hosts, as on the production team, on the venue team, on the one kids team, on the hospitality team? Why do we do that? Because we love each other. 
And so because I love you and because you love me, we, we want to serve each other. We want to take the load off of one another. We want those that are parents with little kids to have the opportunity to sit and hear the Word of God. We want to create an atmosphere that when new people come in, they feel loved, they feel accepted, they feel at home. We really believe that when you're part of a family, you contribute to the family. I'd love to encourage every one of you to serve at least once a month. Serve somewhere at least once a month. Now, do you have to? No, God, when you get to heaven, he's not going to say, I'm going to need to see your planning center schedule. <laughs> the people are serving. That was an inside joke there. <laughs> he's not going to say that. But here's what it does is it does something to you. As you serve, you're becoming more like Jesus. When I serve, I become a better husband because I'm sacrificing myself for the good of others, which is exactly what being a husband and a dad is all about. And so we want to encourage you to serve regularly, not because just we need it, but because we want you to be a functional member of the church. So we have a relational focus. Number three, we have a biblical foundation. What are we building on? What's the foundation that holds everything together? Is it just our opinions? Is it our feelings? No, it's something far greater than that. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them or puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. We live in a world that is constantly debating truth, that oftentimes has no framework for truth. We were talking about that in our men's Bible study this Thursday morning. And J.D., who is an architect, and we were talking about this example of, of building and building according to something that is true, the Word of God. And I said, I know, you know, in our culture, people say, well, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. What if J.D. built a house and said two plus two equals seven? Who would want to buy that house? Not, not any of us, right? And the same is true in church. We, we want to hear the Word of God. Why? Because the kingdom is governed by the Word of the King. The kingdom is governed by the Word of the King. Anybody seen the, has anybody seen the movie The King's Speech? It came out a number of years ago. There was the king, the reluctant king, that he was reluctant because he stuttered. And he wasn't going to be able to communicate to his subjects well, in the kingdom of God, we don't have a king who stutters. The question is, do we have a people who are listening to his word? That's why we love the Bible. That's what, I mean, I just love the Bible. I, I, I am telling you today, I just love the Bible, okay? I'll leave it with that. I love the Bible, not just because I want to fill my head with knowledge, but because of what it does in my life. That's why we encourage you, bring a Bible, Bring a notepad. Again, God's not going to ask you to see your notes to get into heaven. But the fact is that God's word is perfect, but our memory isn't. And so it's helpful to write things down. We encourage you, get in the word daily. All right? This is, this is how we do it, in the words of Montel. This is how we do it. Get in the word daily. Number four, I want you to see this, and we're going to land momentarily. Not only do we value a God encounter, relational focus, biblical foundation, but the last thing I want you to see is that we value an apostolic mission. An apostolic mission. What is apostolic mission? An apostle is actually a military word. It is one that has been sent out 
from the government, sent out by the king. And, and church, regardless of how good it is, regardless even of how many people come, a church is not measured by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. The greatness of a church is not just how many people show up, but how many people are ultimately sent out. Some people around the world. That's why we're doing missions trips this summer to Kenya and El Salvador. That's why we, we, we sent a team last summer to build orphanages and to build a chapel in El Salvador. Not so that we could just say, wow, we're so, you know, look at us. That was a nice summer activity. The reason we did that is because every king wants to expand his kingdom. And when we carry the culture of the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom says that those who don't have a home should have a home. And so if there's people without a home, we want to do everything we can to help to provide a home for them. You see, I, I, I believe this, that there was a reason that Jesus came when he did. There was a reason that Jesus came when he did. And I believe one of the reasons was this, that at the time he came, the Roman government gave a picture of what God's kingdom was like. See, the Roman government had been different than other kingdoms that had existed throughout history. Those kingdoms advanced their agenda through exile. They would take people from other kingdoms and they would pull them out of their homeland and they would bring them to Babylon or bring them to wherever it was and they would train them in the culture. But that's not what the Romans did. The Romans would send a governor into that region to extend the rule and the culture of Rome into that region. And that's what you and I are called to be. We're called to be men and women on mission God is expanding his kingdom. We talked about that last week, that he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Like I said, that's why we go on missions trips. That's why we host Alpha. What is Alpha all about? Alpha is not about just having a nice talk or even just a, a cool little get-together. It's about creating a little, uh, a little outpost of the kingdom of God. It's about sitting around the table which is a picture of what God offers to every single one of us, relationship with him, and about bringing people into the kingdom of God. That's why we live on mission in our neighborhoods. And so we want to be a church that, that uh, first of all, values a God encounter, values what we do here. Why? Because we want the presence of a king. We, we love each other because we're citizens of a new kingdom. We, we want to build on the word of God because every kingdom advances through the word of the king, is governed by the word of the king. And, and, and lastly, we want to be a church that lives on mission because God wants his kingdom to advance. I want to ask you, if you would, to stand to your feet. Worship team, you can come back up.